the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Can you expect opposition when you're doing the Lord's will? I thought if you could do the Lord's will, everything would be smooth sailing. Well, we're going to find out if that's true or not in the book of Acts chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas are going to be sent out by the church at Antioch on the first missionary journey. This is Bert Harper along with Dr. Alex McFarlane, and it's our joy to be with you, especially going through this book of Acts. We're about halfway through and enjoying it so, so much. And one of the themes of the book of Acts is the power of the gospel over all barriers. And we're going to find out a spiritual warfare barrier today. And guess who wins? It is God. So, Alex, when we look at the first missionary journey and Paul and Barnabas leaving out, uh, adventure has started, hasn't it? Well, absolutely. And, I mean, what a historic text this really is, you know, because the church has always been about uh, missions, about, you know, it's it's been said the church is the one organization that exists solely for the benefit of its non-members. Think about that. Amen. You know, our, our job and, our frankly, our privilege is to take the gospel to the world. And in Acts chapter 13 and 14, I mean, we see this uh, from the beginning that uh, the church's job is to be on mission to tell the world about salvation. It's exciting stuff and, and very historic, isn't it? It is. And Paul and Barnabas are going to be the central uh, people here. Uh, the first, I would say the first 12 chapters, Peter is the center piece or the center character. But yes. in chapter 13, it changes to the apostle born out of due time, the apostle that was called, the he called himself the least of the apostles. He called him, or God called him, the apostle to the Gentiles. So we're, we're switching here. Chapter 13 is a great, uh, it would be a great turn in individual coverage of what God is doing. But it, guess what? Different people, same Holy Spirit, same gospel, Alex. That's right, because, you know, while, you know, I love Peter. I mean, I've said this many times on Exploring the Word that Peter really is probably my favorite of the disciples and just absolutely one of my favorite biblical figures. But it changes to the focus being on the work of Paul, how God works through Paul. But, you know, the thing about it, we often say this, we don't care that anybody would know our name, but we care that everybody knows Jesus' name. And it's not about Peter or Paul or Barnabas as much as we appreciate what we learn from them and about them. It's all about Jesus. And uh, Acts chapter 13 talks about the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod, uh, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And uh, among the prophets and teachers um, there, you know, we see God do a great work. They were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And the Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Bert, the Holy Spirit speaking. Um, you and I have done a show before about the work of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is fully deity. The Holy Spirit has a mind. The Holy Spirit can 
speak to the church. So the personhood and the work of the Holy Spirit, that's another thing we glean from Acts chapter 13, is it not? It is. And, and matter of fact, the two chapters before this, we'll find the Spirit led uh, Peter to go somewhere. He, The Spirit led Cornelius to call so the activity of the Holy Spirit here is so, it's filled with the book of Acts, the, the Holy Spirit moving. I want to say one thing about these five men that were mentioned. Of, mm-hmm. of the five, four of them were all born outside of Judea or Jerusalem. Uh, Barnabas mm-hmm. has yeah. come from Cyprus. Uh, Simeon, of course, we find out that uh, he is, he is uh, from somewhere in Africa, Lucius of Cyrene. And then uh, Paul was uh, Saul. Paul was from Tarsus. Only Minian was the one that was brought up by Herod. So we're yeah. finding this Antioch church uh, quite different than the Jerusalem church. I don't think it would hurt to to look at that for a moment and contrast them. The Jerusalem yeah. church was mainly made up of Jews, if not all Jews. I'm for, sure there were some God fearers, Gentiles in there. But when we get to Antioch, we find out that it's Jews, but uh, we find out that we feel like a lot of God-fearers, Gentiles come in. But again, they're not from Judea. They, four out of the five of these, are, again, are outside of what we'd call the Holy Land today. And so, But the same Holy Spirit is using each one of them, but two of them God's called out to do something very special. Now, Alex, what this says, again, after you read in verse 3, then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Now, I want to come back, and we'll talk about this verse because fasting and praying, laying hands on, but they sent them away. In the, in the Greek language, it means more like they released them. In other mm-hmm. words, they, they said, okay, we're willing to give you up if that's what God wants. I I love churches that way that are willing to leave some of their leadership, let them or permit them and release them to go minister in the name of the Lord somewhere else rather than just keep on where they are. And so this is so powerful. It released them. In other words, we would love for you to stay, but we know God has called you elsewhere. We release you from that, and we're going to send you on our way. We're going to bless you. And I, the reason I say that, I, I've heard like Gideon's ministers that uh, place Bibles uh, all through uh, places now. It's getting harder and harder for them to do that. But the mm. Gideons in a church, a lot of times they leave and go speak at another church. You have lay teachers. Yeah, they teach Sunday school, but sometimes God wants them to go somewhere and share their testimony. Uh, listen, I think churches expand their influence and follow God by releasing those people to go and minister elsewhere, and that's what they did with Barnabas and Saul. Absolutely. You know, um, you can call it a gracious spirit or a collegial spirit. I I really think before the Holy Spirit, it's an obedient spirit. Uh, But many times, Bert, um, I've been in towns where there'd be a church and there's a sister church. Sometimes they'll say it's a sister church. And the way that this or that other church got planted was a group of members was was set forth and released. And that's a beautiful thing, not only in, in planting new churches, churches will birth churches, Amen. but in, in missions work. And, you know, in um, parachurch work, I, I've... 
uh, well, with Prison Fellowship and Chuck Colson, I know that different ministers and ministries and missionaries from one ministry would go help another uh, part of the work get started. And this is biblical. This goes all the way back to the New Testament. And so um, they went on their way. They well, went down before to Before we go Salute. further, before they do, I want you to speak to this. And I, I know I'm holding you up, and I'm the delayer on this one. Let's speak to the fasting, <laughs> praying, and laying on of hands. Uh, I think well, this amen. is so important because it's not just sending them out and say, okay, you can go, but they fasted. In other words, we are seeking the Lord. We're making it a priority to fast and pray. And then the laying on of hands, they affirmed what God had done. And and that is so important because as you come to verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was doing that, but what was happening we find out that they were confirming what God had already done. I think that happens a lot with us. You know, uh, a man mm-hmm. see, that's being called to preach or a, a, a couple or a woman being called to mission work, and we see it already, and we affirm. And so this fasting and praying, laying over the hands, is affirming and acknowledging what God has done, isn't it? Well, well, it is. And, you know, fasting, we've talked about this before, and we've actually had on the show somebody who's an expert on that, which is Elmer Towns. And uh, Elmer Towns, by the way, who's a, a great scholar and minister and educator, he wrote a book called Fasting for Spiritual Breakthrough. And that's a key. And the wording there in Acts 13.3, then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and released them, like you said, you know, fasting is a wonderful thing because basically the implication of fasting is if every time your tummy growls, that's going to be a reminder to pray. But the wording there is a combination of a word that, that has the, the, the root pneuma. And we know pneuma is a, a word for spirit. In fact, pneumatology is the study of the Holy Spirit. It's spelled P-N-E-U-M-A. T-O-L-O-G-Y, pneumatology is the study of the Holy Spirit. Well, the implication there is not just the refraining from food, but being in touch with the Holy Spirit, fasting and praying. And, Bert, I've said this many times. I really think the American church, we need to get reacquainted, sure, with intercessory prayer and, you know, praying until the Holy Spirit begins to move. But I think we need to get reacquainted with fasting. And, and, friend, you know, I always say this because I think it's important. Make sure that physically and medically that's a, you know, there's no extenuating health condition that would put you in harm's way if you fasted. But you refrain from food for 24 hours, not, not water. you gotta got to stay hydrated. But a, a 24-hour fast, a three-day fast, a 10-day fast, and— um, for some, even you might feel called to do a, a lengthy fast. There have been 40-day fasts. Bill Bright of Campus Crusade, on at least one occasion, and I'm thinking maybe a couple, did a 100-day fast. Now, he obviously drank water and stayed hydrated. And i I got to say this about Bill Bright, and I love Bill Bright, but um, that 100-day fast was possible because he went into it with some excess weight, but it was, fasting is not about weight loss. It's about getting in touch with God, but when the church fasts and prays, 
um, miracles happen, Bert. And yes, we do believe in the miraculous. Now, here in recent decades, that's not been an emphasis in the American church. But I've got to tell you, there's such a spiritual battle going on that I think fasting and prayer should be a part of the regimen of every church's walk and witness. And with that, they sent them away after fasting and praying, the Holy Spirit. Again, Alex has shown us that the Holy Spirit is involved in that. They came down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Now, Cyprus is Barnabas's home turf. This is where he's from, so he's mm-hmm. familiar with it. So the first place they go is familiar to one of them. While they're getting their feet wet, they kind of go to some familiar territory. I don't believe that's bad. The synagogue. Yeah. I don't believe that's bad missionology to go to somewhere you're familiar with to get your feet wet. And so they came down to Solomon. They preached the word of the Lord, as you said, in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. John Mark is there. Mm-hmm. So this is, we see his strategy here. They're going, Paul and Barnabas, the first place they find is a synagogue. Since Paul is a student of Gamaliel, and he is a scholar, he is one that has been trained, guess what they're going to ask him to do? They're going to ask him to speak. So when he speaks, mm-hmm. what do you think he's going to speak about? No synagogues? Uh, well, the gospel and <laughs> presented as Jesus being the fulfillment of all those Jewish prophecies. That is right, and he's going to do that, and we're going to see how he does it. And we're studying the book of Acts. We're in chapter 13. It is a great, great chapter. You don't want to miss it. We'll be back in just a few minutes with more of Exploring the Word. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Richard Flournoy, administrator of the Risk Management Agency at the Department of Agriculture. He oversees development and implementation of crop insurance policies. Genesis 129 reminds us of God's blessings of plants and food. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Richard Flournoy as he works on behalf of our nation's farmers. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Many of us use the terms praise and worship interchangeably. But Dr. Tony Evans says they're two different things, especially when it comes to how they're expressed. He'll explain today as we spend two minutes with Tony. You can worship silently. You can worship with nodding. You can worship with just raising your hand. You can can do all of that as part of your personal, private, just you and God worship. But you can't praise God silently. Praising God is the verbalization of worship. See, because praise must be expressed. That's why the author says, and bless the Lord, oh my soul. He's calling for you to tell it, declare it, let it be known. If your worship never becomes your praise, that means you're holding up back on God. See, we give you a time for private worship. It's called communion. 
you get to bow your head and it's not a lot of talking and you get to meditate. That, 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 that's worship. But that's not the same as praise. Praise is when you open your mouth and you declare the goodness of God in the land of the living. If 20,000 people can take three hours to praise a sports program, you can't tell me you can't open up your mouth and give God some glory. Because I'm talking about praise. And praise has to be expressed. You don't come to church just to worship, yes, but you come to church to express the worship. That's called praise. Tony teaches about worship, oneness, success, and more in his CD series, The Spiritual Toolkit. Check it out online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. There's nothing to fear now, for I am safe with you. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my head lifted high. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Hey, before we resume Acts chapter 13, I want to remind everybody, I am coming to you from Canton, Texas, and I am uh, at the beautiful First Baptist Church. Tonight we have a baccalaureate service, and graduates are going to be here. And if you're in the region, come on out. Their website is First Canton, C-A-N-T-O-N, First Canton, and it's at 6 p.m., and the public is welcome, and you can join us as we pray for these graduates. And I'll be speaking, and I'll be, in addition to hopefully giving an inspirational message to all these grads, uh, I'm going to be sharing the gospel. And so if you're in the region, come on out. Uh, the pastor told me that people have been calling, and so I mentioned it yesterday. And um, the the phone number is 903-567-4157 here at First Baptist Canton. And I'm just here for tonight, but uh, would love to meet some of you if you have a chance to come on out. But Bert, okay, I want to say one thing that yeah, okay. Uh, Thank Alex. Um, Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, being on every church, you know, from the from the uh, okay, we're gonna we're gonna let try to let Alex reconnect. He's there in that church and having trouble with the connection, and so he and Devin will work on that, and I'll start, if we could, in chapter 13, verse 6, and how I introduced the remarks of getting started here in Acts 13 was opposition, and again, it did not take long. It says, now, when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, was who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Now, this is not unusual. Uh, you're a governor, you're a leader, and some people like Paul and, and Barnabas come to town, 
uh, you want to find out what they're speaking about, what they're telling. And so they call, he calls them in for a counsel. Well, you know Paul and Barnabas, they're not going to waste an opportunity. But it is interesting, an intelligent man, uh, that Luke would write that in there, and we find out his intelligence is following him uh, just a little bit when this story is over. And so this man called them in, but uh, Limus, again, the sorcerer, uh, the sorcerer, translated Bar-Jesus, bar withstood them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Now, the reason he's doing this, Alex, uh, he sees his gravy train slipping away. Uh, <laughs> he is, you know, he's been the advisor, and I'm sure he gets rewarded for that financially. And all of a sudden, these two men come, and they obviously have authority. They obviously have God on their side, and he's going to try to withstand them and say, "No, don't do this." Um, but so here it is. We introduced it with opposition. Didn't take long for it to raise its head, did it? That's true. That's true. And and I hope you can hear me okay. But boy, Saul is bold, isn't he? Um, let me read what Saul says in 10. He looks intently at him and says, uh, you one who is full of deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? Indeed, now the hand of the Lord is upon you and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. Uh, Saul might be new to the ministry, but the Apostle Paul, he, he, he lays the cards on the table, doesn't he? He does. And now listen, I believe that one year that they had spent teaching together had prepared mm -hmm. him. Now, we're not talking about immediately after the Damascus Road experience. Let's do this for a second because I wanted to do this at this time uh, because after that, of course, Ananias spoke to him, encouraged him. He went up to Jerusalem. Barnabas introduced him to the apostles. He preached to them. But according to Galatians 1, he had spent three years uh, in Arabia where Jesus was teaching him. He had come back to Tarsus, and he had spent some time there. And then that's when Barnabas comes up from Jerusalem. He sees the grace that set the church at Antioch, and he says, you know, this would be a perfect place for Saul, he goes to Tarsus, brings Saul back to uh, back to Antioch, and they spend a year there ministering in the Lord. So he has had preparation. You've said this dozens of times. A call to preach is a call to prepare. So mm -hmm. here, when opposition comes, he's ready. Now, Alex, I think a lot of that is because he had been prepared. We're going to find out in just a few verses, John Mark for some reason, decides to go back to Jerusalem. Had he had a sufficient time to prepare before he went out on this journey? I don't know. But Paul had prepared for such a time as this, and being filled with the Holy Spirit, he rises to the occasion, doesn't he? He really does. He really does. And you know what Paul says to uh, this, this sorcerer? He says, why are you perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And really, the wording there really means the, the true truths. And we have people to this day that pervert truth and they twist truth. And he does get struck blind. Something supernatural, a judgment falls on him. It says this dark mist falls upon him, and he begins to go about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. You know, 
uh, this magician needs somebody to lead him by the hand, but he really needs somebody to lead him spiritually too, doesn't he? He does. Now, what happened? Then the proconsul believed. God Mm -hmm. removed the obstacle. Again, that's one of the themes of the book of Acts. The obstacles that stand in the way of the gospel, God overcomes them. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, overcomes them. As we talked about the Acts of the Apostles, some have said the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Here it is, the Holy Spirit overcoming, and and this proconsul, this governor, uh, with that in mind, the leader of this uh, of this community, and this is one of the major communities there on Cyprus, Alex. It's not just a little bitty village. It's one of the major uh, areas there on Cyprus. So, And it's the third largest island in the Mediterranean. So here the gospel is proclaimed, and you have a free way with the leader saying, now this is what we're going to go. And he believes God again overcomes Satan's greater obstacles. Satan is going to either try to stop or pervert. He's, you know, if he can't stop it, he's going to pervert it. Well, Saul's mastery of the Old Testament, the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, now the Apostle Paul, his mastery of the Old Testament is very, very evident here, isn't it? It is. Yeah, he goes through, and he remember, they're in the synagogue, and then uh, he's, he's preaching at Cyprus, and he... Uh, is talking about all as when they're at uh, Pisidia, uh, he's preaching. And I've got to say this, this touches my heart. When you get down there to verse 42, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Isn't that something that they would be, while many of the Jews are rejecting this message and left the synagogue, the Gentiles are eagerly listening, in fact begging to hear more, about the grace of God. Yeah, and again, uh, looking back, notice what this this is. This is a part of his process, his strategy, and you'll hear me do this all through the book of Acts because I think the strategy still works today. What Paul discovered on his missionary journeys, yes, he went to a place where the people were gathered that would hear him. He goes to the synagogue, as you said, and he preaches those things, as you said, but notice what it says in verse 9. Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Now, this is not Paul. This is said to Paul. He comes. Notice he knows the synagogue ritual. The synagogue ritual, they had certain things. They'd do the Shema. Uh, they would read a, mm-hmm. a passage of Scripture, and they would pray. But then they would say, does anybody have anything to say about this Scripture? Well, don't, with, don't you love that? If if you have anything to say, say yeah. on. <laughs> and he and he does have that to say. Again, he knows the culture. He knows how to present it in such a way. So if you know the culture and then you know the gospel, Alex, it gives you a heads up on sharing it, doesn't it? Well, it really does. You know, they say the first rule of communication is know your audience, and and he surely did. And so they, they leave Cyprus, they head to Galatia, um, and they're, um, later on uh, they have the whole city come out here, Saul, Paul preach. That's pretty but, neat, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. It, it's just amazing. Uh, word spreads. Now, I've got to believe the fasting and the prayer 
has a, a role in the receptivity of the people. And um, really, uh, you know, the whole city comes together to hear the word of God. But verse 45, the, the Jews, and it says they were filled with envy, contradicting and blaspheming. And do you know what? Our friend Michael Brown, you, you know Dr. Michael Brown, don't you, Yes, Bert? I do, yes. He has written what I think is kind of the definitive set. It's about a four- or five-volume set on answering Jewish objections to Jesus. Because there are, you know, uh, in New York City where there's a high concentration of Jewish people, and even in Israel there are what are called anti-missionaries because Christians share the gospel. Many born-again Jewish Christians share the gospel. But the Orthodox... Uh, the Hasidic Jews, the ones that really don't want any of the Jewish people to believe on Yeshua, Jesus as Messiah. They've got anti-missionaries. Well, Dr. Brown, who himself is Jewish, has written this incredible set of answering Jewish objections. But if you look at Acts 13, 45, even then they were contradicting, in other words, denying, blaspheming, and opposed the things preached by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold. <laughs> well, Paul already was bold, praise the Lord. But it, they said it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. Now, that's pretty harsh talk, isn't it? It is. Um, it is. Go ahead. Oh, I've, I've, let's let's unpack this for a minute. You judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. People who are rejecting Jesus, and maybe somebody even listening right now, you've held Christ at arm's length. The Holy Spirit has come knocking on the door of your heart, and you, you're procrastinating about your salvation. Or maybe you're thinking, I don't need that. You know, I'll take my chances. Don't... Pre- by unbelieving, pronounce a judgment on yourself um, because God wants to save you. Bert, isn't that a wonderful thing that the Lord Jesus wants everyone listening to this to be born again? But Paul and Barnabas, they say, look, um, you're judging yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. We're going to go to the Gentiles who are receptive. And there's, of course, a wonderful quote from Isaiah about being the light to the Gentiles they were glad. They glorified God and received the word of the Lord, and they believed and were saved. Um, people today can believe and be saved, and friend, we hope you'll be one of them. The Gentiles, again, how, if you'll look through this whole message that Paul preaches, you'll find Old Testament, Psalms, Isaiah, and Alex said the mastery that Paul had uh, of the Old Testament. Now, again, don't ignore that. That comes from years of him being a student of the of the Old Testament, studied under Gamaliel. He understood it. So now God is using that education that he got in the Jewish culture, and now he is using it to help the church. And again, God doesn't waste anything. One thing that's happened here in chapter 13, Alex, they leave, and the way Luke writes it, it's Barnabas and Saul— and now at the end of chapter 13, it's Paul and Barnabas. The reason, okay, Saul, the, the Hebrew name, Paul was the given name in Gentile, meaning small or humble. And so now it's Paul. Paul's leadership comes to the top. 
Not that Barnabas is not a good leader. The, obviously, he was. The Jerusalem church had sent him up to Antioch to check what was going on. So he's obviously a leader. He became a leader there in the church at, at Antioch. But I've got to say this. This is so important. God raises up men, and he gives them gifts. He gives them abilities. And here, I believe with all my heart, Barnabas recognizes that Paul is a special instrument. Now, God's already told him that because God told Ananias, he said, go to him, for I have chosen him as a special instrument of mine that he'll test before kings and governors and the Gentiles. And now I believe Barnabas recognizes that, and he is willing to step back and say, okay, Paul, you have your opportunity. Yes, you become that leader that we need. Uh, I, I find that so encouraging in Barnabas, Alex. Amen. Amen. And you know what's interesting? Look at verse 50 and, and 52. It says, The Jews stirred up the, de- the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region. All right, now, Paul and Barnabas, they, they're expelling the dust from off of their feet, all right? But notice, stirred up and raised up persecution. But in verse 52, it says the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They were stirred up and they were raised up, but it wasn't persecution. It, they were stirred up with the power of the Holy Spirit. They were filled up with the joy of the Spirit. What the devil meant for evil It's going to only make the church stronger and more powerful. One of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. And the Holy Spirit brings that joy to fullness in their life, and they are sharing it with others. Hey, we've got a phone number you can call, 888-589-8840. Give us a call. We want to hear from you. The American Family Association's mission is to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. Our goal is to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Here are some of our core values. AFA aims to evangelize the lost and disciple the believer. AFA aims to strengthen biblical marriages and equip parents to raise godly children. Thank you for standing with us as we seek to stop the erosion of godly values. When Jill discovered the affair, she was tempted to end their marriage, but God told her to love her husband. Next time on Focus on the Family, Mark and Jill Savage describe their heartbreaking journey of infidelity and how God reignited their love for each other. Next time on Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. Focus on the Family is heard each weekday morning at 5 o'clock Central on American Family Radio. And I will make boys their princes, and infants shall rule over them. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Over 120 of our nation's retired generals and admirals penned an open letter in which they said, We are in a fight for our survival as a constitutional republic like no other time since our founding in 1776. The conflict is between supporters of socialism and Marxism versus supporters of constitutional freedom and liberty. They also said, under a Democrat Congress and the current administration, our country has taken a hard left turn towards socialism and a Marxist form of tyrannical government, which must be countered. The survival of our nation and liberty are at stake. 
Will our nation listen? Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. In John 4, verse 14, Jesus says, It will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. What if I were thirsty and you gave me some water to drink? Could you come to me later after I drank it and say, Okay, now give it back? Well, no, that water becomes part of me when I drink it. It causes every part of me somehow to be changed, and I can't give it back. Well, God's gift of everlasting life is like that gift of water to a thirsty person. It's a gift that comes into you and changes you forever. Praise the Lord. His salvation through Jesus Christ is free, transforming, and eternal. We can thank God each day for such a wonderful gift. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. Amen. I, every time we sing that song for our, you know, coming in, or we call it bumper music. Here's the official name. I love that. Nobody but Jesus. And uh, that's, that's what Alex and I want you to take away from exploring the word. Make much of Jesus. He's made, he's done that in our lives. Chain, he saved you as a young adult, saved me as a 12-year-old boy. But Alex, I want to tell you, I hadn't gotten over it yet. Now, what about you? Oh, I, you know, I say that all the time. I got saved at 21, and I'm not over it yet. You know, Proverbs 18, 24 says, There is a friend who sticketh closer than a brother, and that friend is the Lord. And, you know, I mean, there's God, uh, of course, the Creator. But, friend, we want you to know Jesus, the Savior, the friend who sticks closer than a brother, the friend who will never leave nor forsake you. That's Hebrews 13. And he will meet every need. And you know what, Bert, when I was um, Sunday, I was in Arkansas, and I was talking to a person who said, well, you know, um, it's just salvation is just this insurance policy because you don't want to go to hell. And I said, well, it's only rational to not want to go to hell. Peter Craved, great Christian thinker, um, somebody made the objection and said, well, you know, you just don't want to go to hell. And Peter Craig said, well, that's, that's only sane. You know, who would want to go to hell? Of course, you don't want to go to hell. You do want to spend eternity with the Lord. But I will say this, um, while, praise God, one of the benefits of salvation is to know that you'll go to heaven when you leave this world. But 30 years of being a Christian that song is so true. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. And friend, if you want to know the greatest love, the greatest acceptance, the greatest security, the greatest joy, just the, the greatest realization every morning when you wake up and you open your eyes, you know that the Lord Jesus Christ is with you. You can have that. Bert, every, everybody can have this 
most precious of all relationships, can't they? They can. Notice the time he, he includes. It's inclusive. Uh, that's what's unique about Christianity. It's exclusive when it comes to the way you get to God, but it's inclusive in everybody who can come. And so God has included you in that. Would you come to Christ? And there's Amen. a number. Now, this is not the number to call to ask questions, but triple eight, need him. Triple eight, need him. It, it'd be worth you pulling off the side of the road. It would be worth you quit turning, turning off your radio and calling them and get right with God and do it today. Yes, I got saved as a 12-year-old boy because I didn't want to go to hell, but I got more than I thought I was getting I got Amen. more than I did. I got that friend. I got an adventure that's still going on after 50-something years of following Christ, and it is awesome. Hey, we're going to go to the phone lines, and the first place we're going to is Louisiana and talk to Brenda. Brenda, welcome. Hey, Bert and Alex. I love y'all. Y'all have no idea how well y'all feed people. Um, well, I've been God listening to y'all for... I don't know, 10, 12 years, and for the longest I felt that God was preparing me for something. And I found out what he was preparing me for. And while I have tried so hard to trust in him, I have found it getting harder and harder because my marriage has crumbled, and I just need your prayers. Okay. We're going... Brenda, we're going to pray for you. Listen, though that relationship, uh, when it's not right, I believe it's the most painful hurt there is, as I've observed. When it's right, it's the greatest there is. So we're going to pray for Brenda. Alex, uh, would it be all right if I led the, in this prayer, brother? Yes, and sister, thanks for listening, and thanks for trusting us with this prayer request and be assured yes we are praying for you and we're asking those of you are listening write brenda's name down brenda i got it written down on my piece of paper and i'm going to pray for it today but i'm going to continue to father in the name of the lord jesus i thank you for brenda calling uh, i thank you that she has found strength in you and today's me- lesson that we talked about opposition coming Satan doesn't care what he does to discourage us, to oppose us, and he'll use our spouse, he'll use children, he'll use parents, he'll use our job. Satan will try to use it all. But I pray for Brenda that she would look unto Jesus. I pray that she would trust you, Lord. I pray that that's what she would do first. Uh, Yes, she wants her marriage to work. Yes, she needs that. But, Father, you are the one. You're the centerpiece. You're the one that she can rely on. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would strengthen Brenda, that she would be strong in the power of your might, that she would stand and be courageous to know Jesus. And you would put in her heart love and care for her spouse. And I pray for her spouse. I don't have to know what all's going on. That's, that is not what we're doing here. But we pray, God, that whatever is happening, that you would speak to his heart and bring him to the place of of looking and needing you and following you and obeying you and loving his wife. And I pray that Brenda would do her best to look unto you and find strength in your name. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. 
the name that's above every name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brenda. And next, and again, write Brenda down and pray for her. I know she is hurting. The pain is there. Mary in Texas. Welcome, Mary. God bless you. Um, I'll pray for Brenda. I experienced something like that over 50 years ago, and it is very devastating when you're young and someone walks out on you. But you know what? This song came to me when I was going through that. You got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible, and he can do what no other God can do. Me and my husband were divorced three years. I stayed faithful to God, to the church, and three years later, we were remarried 54 years now. (laughs) Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Mary. Praise the Lord. Doesn't God line up these calls sometimes, Alex, you know? Uh, exactly. And Mary, exactly. thank you. I don't know what your what? question is, but I, I'm, I'm going to wait just a minute. I, I just want to, you know, a lot of times we pray, and then when they have the opportunity to thank God, we don't. I, I, Alex, I, I, we're going to have church here. We're going to do everything. Uh, except, we're going to do everything except take up an offering. But well, and we, you know what I was thinking about, and listen to this, everybody. Second Corinthians one four. If you ever ask yourself, you know, why do I go through this deep valley? It says, you know, blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. Now, listen, if you wonder why, because we were talking about Paul and Barnabas being prepared for ministry. It says, with the comfort wherewith we ourselves have received of God, we are able to comfort those who are in any trouble. And very often, just like this caller giving a testimony of how God was faithful and God came through. And what it is, we often, like to Brenda, we can say, look, I was there, and trust me, God is faithful. And so, I, Bert, you're right, how God lines up these calls. And friend, whatever you're going through, there is some Christian that could testify, the Lord will get you through it. He will. And in Mary's case, it was not only just getting her through it, but bringing it about and reestablishing it. Alex, just let's give a short prayer and you lead us a thanksgiving for what God has done in Mary, but also for following uh, Brenda's call, would you? Let's do it. Heavenly Father, we just praise you. Lord, you have all the wisdom, all the power, all the connections. And Father God, I thank you for this call coming right after we prayed for Brenda. And Lord, we, we lean on 2 Corinthians 1-4. And so help us to trust you. And I just pray right now the Holy Spirit would minister to the body There's a lot of people with a lot of burdens. So, Lord, I pray we would turn our eyes to Jesus. And, Lord, you have a reason and a purpose. Nothing is wasted. So this day, dear Lord Jesus, may we trust in you and bring about good ministry and resolution for the burdens people are bearing. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Mary, uh, I know that uh, you uh, had a question. Would you go ahead with that real quickly? Yes, and I appreciate the scripture you just read, Corinthians. When I had Second Corinthians one months, four. Right when I lost a baby at five months, boy, that's the very scripture God gave to me. That you know what you walk through in life, you'll be able to help someone else through. Mm-hmm. Amen, Mary. 
And my question has to do with tattoos. I was in my 70s when I brought my kids up. Years ago, we were taught, you know, not to mark your body, you know, even when it came to the Cracker Jack little tattoo thing in the box, threw them in the trash. Is there, where do you go? I got grandkids now using tattoos. Where do you go to instruct, you know, from the Bible itself? Okay, Mary. Yeah, we get this question ever so often, Alex. We have to go to the Old Testament and tell not to mark your body. Uh, is that one of the things that kind of is a choice, though, in in 2021 in the New Testament? Uh, some, you know, I I know some people got tattoos to be a witness. In other words, they got a, mm-hmm. a cross put on their shoulder, and they're working out in the gym, and they'll say these people will look at that cross, and it'll bring them a conversation. They tell them about Jesus. Uh, is what what do you say? Well, you know, the famous passage, Leviticus 19.28, says don't make a mark on your body. It also says don't cut your body, as, you know, the, the pagans do. Um, but, but we're not under law, we're under grace. And I know a lot of very godly people that have gotten tattoos, at, like you say, as a witness. For me, one of the key scriptures for these areas that are there's a little uncertainty uh, is 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, where Paul says, we are not our own, we're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in our body. Um, you know, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, I think that a lot of people, it's not so much an issue of salvation or anything like that, because I know godly people who are very much against tattoos. I know godly people who are for tattoos. For any young people listening, I will say this. Until you're an adult and you're out on your own, you need to obey your parents. And and this is one thing that I know some teens have, you know, argued and fought with their parents over. And listen, part of being a Christian is to be respectful of authority and obedient to your parents and compliant. You know, as long as mom and dad are paying the bills and you're under their roof, you really are under their discipline. And so don't rebel. Um, but, Bert, let me say this, and I'll throw it back to you. I have talked with a lot of people that um, it's not so much a spiritual regret, but just pragmatism, that they've gotten things when they were young and years go by and they grow and they mature and they, they wish they could have undone it um, or, or undo it. So, you know, pray about it. Um, whether you're under conviction about it spiritually or you're just being pretty wise pragmatically. You know, I've got to say, in my encounters with people, I really think tattoos are a net negative. But if for those that are Christians that have them, if I'm offending you, forgive me. I ask your forgiveness. But overall, you know, it just seems to be a net negative in the lives of a lot of people. Okay, Mary, we hope that helps you. We're going to try to get another call in, and it's Willie from Texas. Willie, welcome to Exploring the Word. Uh, yes, um, I I wanted to know if you all uh, could uh, possibly explain the transition of passing into the next life. I've sort of got a 
phobia to that, and I want to uh, be relieved of coming out of uh, that. Okay. You know, just, uh, okay, just Willie, we got your question. I know I'm passing I'm, away as a, as a gift to the Lord to say that going home is your gift. Okay, Willie, I, I'm cutting you off a little bit so we get to hope you can hear. Not, let me just share with you. We're saved by grace. I have a whole sermon on this. We are kept by grace, but also God gives us dying grace. I've seen it. I've pastored over 40 years. I've seen death uh, for believers and unbelievers. And I want to just tell you, God's grace is sufficient at death, not only to take mm. you to heaven, but to be with you during this. When you're going out of this life, is is going to that one. I, I a lot of funerals for believers. I'll say while we're saying goodbye down here, we're saying hello up there, Alex. Yeah, you know Psalm 116 verse 15 says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And Hebrews 1.14 talks about angels that are ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation. Bert, I've been in hospitals, and I've seen saints of God die with a smile on their face. And I know, you know, I think it's just natural to sort of recoil against death because it's an unknown. And, you know, it, frankly, the process for many people, there, there's pain involved, but Listen to this. Um, Erwin Lutzer's book, One Minute After You Die, talks about the promises of God's grace as God shepherds his children through this life to the next. That's why make sure that you're born again, and God will shepherd you through that transition into heaven. He will. And uh, listen, it is a home going. To be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, it is real. If you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, you need to today. Hey, Alex, mm. we're going to continue on in the book of Acts tomorrow. I hope it goes good tonight there in Texas for you, brother. Exactly. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to Exploring the Word. Your prayers and support of the American Family Radio Network. Tell somebody about Exploring the Word and all the great programming. But most of all, always tell everybody about Jesus. Jesus.